How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Enterprise Sales Development. I'm your host, Eric Quanstrom, the CMO at Science. Today's guest, Ryan Staley. And Ryan is the CEO and founder of Whale Boss, which is a consulting firm out of Chicago that really focuses in on helping sales teams transform with AI. So it's a very, very, very timely interview that we're getting Ryan, and he's dropping tons of insights for this episode. He's also a podcast host. You'll hear that coming through in his polish (laughs) and knowledge. And his journey really, you know, as he kind of recounts in the interview, starts mainly after almost a decade as the VP of strategic accounts at Flex Technology Group, where he put them on a hyper growth path, one I can definitely relate to, and realized that he could do all that with a very, very slim staff. And so he's bringing a lot of that kind of know-how and competence and business acumen, if you will, to the fore and leveraging AI with sales teams that he consults into to help them do more with less, kind of the mantra for our times, if you will, here in end of year 2023. But at any rate, you're going to take away from this episode a ton of super valuable, practical AI tips and perspectives from Ryan that you're going to be able to implement in your own sales organization straight away. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. Here's Ryan Staley. And we're back with Ryan Staley. Ryan, pleasure to have you on the Enterprise Sales Development Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Eric. Looking forward to it, man. And my understanding of of kind of your career arc and some of the things that you're particularly good at is being as kind of like a head of sales and now consulting into organizations where you can kind of provide that guidance and and have done you know some notable things like growing organizations from essentially ground zero to 30 million ARR at you know places like the Flex Technology Group. Now you're running your own show at the Whale Boss, founder and CEO. Have been doing that for a couple of years right after the pandemic started. Fair? Yeah, right in the middle, man. I started like smack in the middle, like March 31st, or I mean, I, I, the company was officially incorporated a few months after that, but literally right in the height of the beginning of it. And so it was kind of one of those deals where I was at a company for a long time, like close to nine and a half years, and effectively was ready to leave probably two years prior than I did. And started working on my brand and just just wasn't really in alignment with leadership and where the company was headed. Mm. We got acquired by a PE company, I don't know, maybe three, four years prior, which are some good things and, and really positive experiences I had there. But at the same time, I kind of outgrew my role there and wanted to move on. And it was one of those situations where I started working on my brand and they're just like, hey, you know, there's things you're doing outside of work. You can't really do that anymore. And that was March 30th. <laughs> and this is like, you know, two weeks after everything shut down. And then um, we got a million dollar deal in, in terms of profit the next morning, uh, then got a call and said like, hey, we had a board meeting. We're basically furloughing 75% of our staff and you can't work here anymore. So, wow. so it was one of those situations where, you know, just like a lot of folks are going through now, 
And I mean, I was actually, it was funny because my wife was freaking out, but I was like happy. I'm like, sweet. Like this is, this is finally what I wanted. Right. Like, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do, but pushing baby bird out of the nest. And, and, you know, it was a good compelling event to make me move in the direction, which I always wanted to do, which was to, to run my own show and do my own thing. So, so yeah, that's how I, I mean, probably a little bit more than what you're looking for, no, but no, this is relevant in light of all the folks getting laid off now and, and everything that's happening. Yeah. I've, I've uh, taken to saying, including with uh, recent guests that I think we've been in a tech recession for the last year and a half and it's been kind of papered over or hidden underneath the fact that we're not in a, you know, an American recession. Other industries have picked up the slack, if you will. Oh, true. Very true. Very true. So at any rate, out on your own, for those that have not heard of Whale Boss and, and aren't familiar with, you know, kind of like what that company is all about, maybe give the thumbnail sketch of the kind of consulting services you provide. Yeah, no problem. And so effectively it was about a year ago from a year earlier from today when we're recording this we're November, right before Thanksgiving. So in 23 and effectively what happened was like, I, about a year ago, well, here, let me take a quick step back. So after that happened, I told you about the big cliffhanger and um, effectively what I've been doing for the last three years is working with particularly tech companies and helping them apply the principles that helped me grow a division from zero to 30 million in ARR. And, and I did that in five and a half years with only four salespeople. And so we had, I mentioned we got acquired by a PE company, but we did not have any additional resources or influx of cash or anything like that for the group that I was in. And so uh, that, what I've been doing over the last, like I said, three years is helping companies implement those principles. About a year ago though, I got obsessed because I have my own podcast called The Scale Up Show where I interview tech CEOs, right? And one of the things that happened was I had Chris Savage, who is the CEO of Wistia, and he's just like, hey, Ryan, he's like, you need to um, check out this tool, Dolly. And I'm like, you know, D-A-L-L-E, right? And I'm like, what is it? He's like, you type in words and it creates a picture, right? Which is crazy, you know, 12 months later. But this is like right when it was in beta, I think, very released. So that weekend, I checked it out and my daughter's in art. So we were playing with it over the weekend and we're like, and my son, we're like, oh, these are some, some kind of cool pictures, but... It wasn't quite there yet, right? And so what eventually happened was shortly thereafter, ChatGPT got released. I started using it in, I think, the beta phase that, that it was available and effectively have been using it over the last 10, 11 months. And so what's happened is I pivoted my business to doing straight consulting on what I was doing before. Effectively started a sales AI accelerator so that um, I think there's going to be massive massive opportunity, but there's also going to be massive job loss that happens because of AI. And so as a leader, one of the biggest challenges that I had was keeping up with my day job and executing at a high level while also keeping up to date on everything that was going on in the world. And so effectively what I decided to do is take it upon myself and share this with the the revenue community, created that accelerator. And now actually companies are looking for me to help them implement AI into their people um, instead of just not into their product. And effectively the output is, you know, reduction in 40 hours a month, uh, giving them the time back while also basically creating like a 200% multiplier on what people are already doing. So. So where do you go in and, and start in, in kind of that AI journey with the companies that are, that are bringing you on board and, and hiring you? Yeah. So I think like the core element of, of what I, I look for is if the sales AI accelerator, so that's like a self-serve model, right? And effectively what it is, is 
you could go from zero to being, I, I think, top 1% by literally spending two and a half to four hours on it. That's it. That's all it takes. And then there's going to be updates, right? So if someone's doing it on their own, that's what I would recommend. And it's very, it's built out to turn um, folks that, you know, are either C players into B, B into A, A into A plus, or, you know, give folks that are earlier in their career or leaders that are, you know, I know there's a lot of SDR folks out there, exponentially advance where they're at in terms of their career and acumen. And then same thing with leaders, like taking the next step and jump. So that's how I kind of approach it from the membership side. And then when I'm working with a company one-on-one, I'm really trying to understand like, what's the core outcome they want? What are the jobs to be done? Like the actual jobs and tactical elements that they're doing. And then integrating that into the work product. So really looking at tangible outcomes and use cases to give back time to scale results in terms of speed and quality. And that's kind of how I look at it. And then from there, it's more so it's like, all right, let's create like an AI center of excellence internally. So you have a prompt matrix or a prompt library is what I like to call it. So that effectively everybody in the organization could start to use it. And then it starts to become a self-scaling organization because people keep innovating on top of it. So that's, that's my general approach to it. Got it. So do you really see yourself as kind of like enabling sales through better AI education and, and training? Yeah, I say I see it more as a transformation. Okay. Uh, I, I think instead of just enabling, enabling is like I think in, in my mind it's like getting people incrementally better. The the beautiful thing about this and and you know real world example is like when I when I first got access to this, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna test it on something that I know to be true, right? Just through like ten tens of thousands of hours of experience of meeting with C-level executives and like understanding how they think, what moves them, how they're, how they make decisions. And so effectively what I did is I tested it with that question of all those things that I just mentioned and got probably close to 90, 95% of the way there with just a single question. Okay. So once I saw that, I was like, holy shit, this is a game changer because it can scale like five different areas that I've pinpointed time, execution, acumen, money, and skills. And so those are the five components. And it's like a team's acronym because effectively, if you know how to use AI, you can have your own team, teams, I should say, of people working for you. So let's take one of the five and and go kind of like semi-deep dive or at least below the surface. How's that? Um, Maybe acumen might be one of the more interesting ones because theoretically you've got, you know, trillions of (laughs) learning parameters in any generative AI tool that you might use and, you know, developing better business acumen I think is every salesperson's dream if they're paying attention, <laughs> right? Yeah, because that so, then it converts to the relevancy. So go go ahead, Eric. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut no, you no, off. No, no, go hit that thought. <laughs> okay, so so yeah, that's a real simple one, and that was the one that I tested it on that I was mentioning. And so a real simple way, and here's here's like what I would call like a deep well or like a narrow prompt thought that you could leverage. And so an example of that would be, for example, like what is, um, identify the the top five KPIs, which are key performance indicators. A CIO is evaluated on at this company size. It's, you know, so that would be the revenue range, right? So between let's say 10 and a hundred million that's publicly traded in, you know, let's say the tech vertical, right? Mm-hmm. And so by giving it that context, it allows you to walk inside and give you the view of like how they're evaluated and how they're measured, because that's going to drive 
their decision making, right? So that's step one. Step two would then be go would go to more so along the lines of like, all right, walk me through the top five challenges they have when trying to meet those KPIs. Okay, then it'll break down the challenges. And then the last but not least is like, what are the top five emotional challenge or the the emotions that they have when dealing with those challenges, right? So right. we go from like how they're evaluated, the challenges they have, and then the emotions that drive the decisions that they make. So by that alone, that's one example of how you could rapidly scale if you are earlier on in your career, or even if you're later in your career and you just haven't had all the reps to truly understand that at a subconscious level. Right. So that each one of the sales conversations that you then have with each one of those personas, you've already got the mapping and kind of like the background, if you will. You can validate those assumptions. You can test Hey, is this is this something that you know I'm hearing from a lot of other folks just like you? This is what they're worried about, or this is what they're challenged by. Yeah, like and there, here's two real world examples. So one time when I was like the first enterprise deal that I got as a rep, it was it was the the initial deal was I think it was thirty thousand dollars a month, ended up growing to two hundred thousand dollars a month. Okay, so big opportunity it was a managed services deal, and one of the things that I found out. And I had to go through the cycles and I had to work on this is how the director of strategic sourcing got compensated and found out that he had like almost like a reverse quota for cost savings. And he had to hit that number. And if he hit that number, then effectively he got a bonus and their year end was in September, the end of September. So I reverse engineered a deal to effectively help him hit his goal, which helped him push the deal through and, and do it because it was really good for the company, but it was really good for him. So that's an example as a rep. Now, the other side of this is when I was leading a team and we were at, we were sitting at Lowe's, I think Lowe's is like Fortune 55. Um, and when I say Lowe's, I mean the competitor of like Home Depot, right? Like that Lowe's, yeah. there's there's another Lowe's. Not the theater Lowe's. Lowe's. Yeah, not the yeah. theater, right? Um, and so one of the things that when we were sitting with them as well, we were sitting with some senior leadership and they're like, yeah, you wouldn't believe like what happens with these, these sales teams that come in here. And I go, well, what do you mean? And they go, you know, most of them are just talking general at, about their product and they don't really know our industry and our vertical and the real specific challenges that we're having. And so basically what this is, is this is a cheat code to enable that no matter what your starting point is, what your level of experience is. And all it takes is just understanding the right prompts, the right questions. And you can get, you know, we used to take decades into minutes. Yeah. I mean, anyone that's spend even a modicum of time with generative AI tools, whether it be ChatGPT, Claude, Bard, <clears throat> any of the open source um, models, I think is genuinely probably taken aback by the level of, of detail, thought, and logic that is applied to virtually any output that is created. Yeah. And I'm curious, um, we, we, you know, we've talked as a society now about the words prompt engineering for about a year. And how do you define that term and how do you like to think about, is, is what you're teaching effectively a, a form of, of prompt engineering for sales? To an extent, right? Like what I found the, the biggest barriers, and actually if you look at OpenAI's uh, adoption rate or their churn rate, a lot of it's based on the fact that people don't know real world business cases on how to use it. Right. So effectively with, with my solution, what I do is, I've been, the good thing is I've been through all those. I've been a leader through all those. So I understand them. And, and obviously I'm not going to have every single one possible, right? But I've mapped the most common ones and effectively designed the prompts around them, designed and identified the business use cases 
and then give them the ability to basically type out one word and have these long extensive prompts built out, which yield really good results. So what I'm teaching folks is not really like, you don't need to learn how to be a prompt engineer. You don't even need to learn how to identify the business use cases. You just have to, instead of using Google or instead of doing it the old way, you type in one word, get an amazing result and execute it, right? Like that's what I'm teaching them so that basically they could be better than 99% and prompt 95% faster without even being a prompt engineer. And the beautiful thing about it, Eric, is it's it's basically language model agnostic, okay? And so what I mean by that is obviously like as of the time of this recording, Sam Altman just got fired from the board like literally like two days, three days ago, two business days ago, effectively, right? Then he got rehired by Microsoft yesterday and now they have a new CEO. And so it's been a shitstorm. So at the same time, literally 700 of OpenAI's employees are like, we're going to walk out. Now, here's the thing. I, I don't think OpenAI is going to go away, you know, because of the fact that Microsoft's got 10 billion in them um, or 10 billion investment. And there's a lot of other big names. However, you do want the ability, if, if the biggest AI player effectively in the world from a large language model perspective or a model perspective that's available to us, the end users, right? could basically go through that much turmoil that fast instantly, then you want something that could be leveraged across multiple different models in case there's disruptions like that. So that's kind of what I I do what I do in terms of that way and structure. Yeah. So you like to be fairly agnostic about like the underlying LLM that you're using. Well, yeah, because all of them have strengths and weaknesses. Like none of them are perfect yet. They're still figuring that out. You know, like for example, Bard can be really good for real-time research. However, if you give it too much, it'll start making shit up, right? Claude <laughs> has very good examples too, where you know you could get like a, you could type in one word like in the sales AI accelerator I have, you could effectively get an entire research from a 10K report, an annual report, and it does the best at that. Whereas ChatGPT does so many other amazing things, you just want to leverage them for their strengths and weaknesses. So you're taking a, a bit of your contact or context, if you will, from real-time information and then putting kind of, forgive me for putting it this way in my mind and tell me if I'm even remotely close to accurate, but putting the AI in the middle between kind of like the sales interaction with the clients that you're going to be interacting with and, you know, kind of like real-time trends or information or background um, that you want to gather about that organization, that individual. Yeah, I mean, it, there's all different use cases. There's objection handling, there's research prep, presentation prep. I mean, and you could do effectively automated research where you do research in seconds, right? That used to take 20, 30 minutes, right? There's the acumen stuff that I mentioned. So there's a wide range of different use cases that, that you could leverage for it. Yeah. Hello, this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter, check out other free content resources I have there, and let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. What do you think the hesitation, you made an interesting comment earlier that I think a lot of people are, you know, genuinely worried about of jobs going away. <clears throat> how do you talk or how do you think about the orientation of that concern to 
a sales population that may feel themselves at risk? Yeah, it is funny because once I once I I asked that question and I started using that and I created that use case and then I also created like an entire department in 20 minutes, like an entire sales department, something that would have taken like eight hours in the past, everything from like the comp plans to the management structure to like how how they're evaluated to the the operating system, all that, right? Once I saw that, it, and I remember I was like talking to my wife about it. I'm like, this is really cool, but this is scary at the same time because like this is really advanced. And this was like the earliest model. And this is the public model that we had. So I've been doing my best just to like, like, I'm like, here's the thing, man. Like, and I've seen so many tech companies be like, no, 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 it's not going to replace you. Everything's going to be fine. Right. And that's bullshit. Right. Like there are people that are going to be replaced. So I've been as like honest as possible. And I'm like, okay, how can I best serve like my community or the people that are, that are out there? in the sales profession or in the revenue profession. And it's like, you could either like ignore it and get run over by it, or you can embrace it and be, uh, you know, able to influence your own destiny, right? And scale yourself and scale your future. And that's kind of the way that I look at it. I'd rather be of the latter instead of the former. Yeah, I mean, ultimately it sounds to me like, and you didn't say this, but I'm, I'm guessing this is where you're going with that. The, the people who aren't kind of like getting on the the AI train, if you will, and bootstrapping their way towards better outcomes, better win rates, um, they're going to get, you know, kind of like marginalized, left behind or cut. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's just like, it's like the, the horse in the car example, right? Like most people think they just, they want a faster horse. <laughs> um, whereas if you had a car, it blows it away. And, and that's what's available to everybody at a democratized price. Right. So like, I, I'm, I'm of the believer too, like what's going to start happening is you're going to have folks and, and I'm no sprint chicken by any means. Um, but like, what I would say is like, there's going to be like 29 year old sales managers or sales leaders that are replacing, you know, 40 year old plus sales leaders that have massive experience and results because they know how to use AI and, and the older folks don't, right? Like, and it's, it's not just an age thing. It could be the same thing if they're the same age, but like the, like, and this is, here's an example. Um, have you heard of, did you see the study that Harvard did on this at all by any chance? Um, I may have, but for okay. the purposes of the, the discussion. Yeah, so I'll, I'll, give you, I'll be super, super quick on it. So Harvard and BCG Consulting, which is a very, very reputable consulting company, effectively, did like the largest scale study in terms of behavior with 800 consultants, right? And these aren't consultants like entry level folks. These are folks that like you have to have a master's to get a job there, right? Like, like the minimum pay, I think is probably like a buck 25 or 150K. So these are, these aren't like, you know, people that have no educational foundation. These are really sharp people. And so effectively, they gave half of them the use of chat GPT without any training, half of them not. The ones that used it had 40% higher quality results. They did it in 75% of the time and they did 12% more. Okay. So you're like, ah, Ryan, whatever that those percentages are great. When you add all those up, effectively, that's a 210% improvement over the ones that weren't using it. When you factor in speed, quality, and speed, right? Speed, quality, quantity, and speed is the, uh, the three words. So, mm -hmm. yeah. well, and, and, you know, they had defined that study, I think, um, around, you know, kind of pre-existing determinations of success. And one of the things that I remember about reading about that was 
the the biggest leaps were made by the poorest performers coming into the study. That was a different study, but there was a study done on that as well. So, I mean, I've seen it that way. Uh, MIT did a study where it could literally two to three extra top performer, and then the middle tier gets 30 to 40% uplift. So there's been a a different range of studies. I know which one you're talking about. I can't remember who put that on. Uh, The the reason why I referenced the Harvard one the most is because that's the largest like sample size of people. Um, And it seems like it was the longest in duration, right? But yeah, even, even, you know, there's examples of that too, right? Where folks that are, are just kind of C players become A players if they're using AI too. I mean, there's all different use cases like that or examples. So, yeah. If you think about this and, and kind of pull it back down into the world of, you know, where do sales conversations start? Um, you know, kind of the land of, of sales development for a lot of tech company clients like those you're probably very familiar with. How do you think that they and that population should go about leveraging AI, um, best case scenario, as we sit here, end of 2023? Yeah, it's a great question. So here's what I would say. Like, it depends on the maturity of your organization is is kind of what I think, right? Like, and it depends on the performance of your organization. However, like there's core components that you could leverage regardless of the size or situation or role. And so I think like the way I would implement it with the team and leverage it instantly in the areas I would is I would take this model. I would effectively, if I was a leader and most leaders don't know this, they've quote unquote played with it or used it for emails, right? Which is like one, one millionth of a percentage of of what's possible. I would, I would do some, some just like exploring, like you could literally look at my LinkedIn profile Looked at look at my last like few months of content. I post on this stuff all the time of actual use cases. <clears throat> um, you could look at that and, and get an understanding of what's possible. Because I'm like part of the reason why I focus on this too is most people would just throw like massive prompts out there and not really align with business use cases. I actually have real business use cases, so and it doesn't have to be be me. It could be someone else, right? But you once you start to understand like real business use cases for it. And then what I would recommend is you take that data, you share it with your team at your team meeting, right? And then what you do is you task your team. You say, hey, everybody in here is responsible for taking two hours over the next week and identifying at least three use cases in their day-to-day job that they could leverage this, right? And then you have to come back and present the results of that to the team at our next meeting a week from now. Then what you do is you have everybody present. What does that do? If they're going to present to their peers, they're going to make sure that they have their their shit together, right? Mm-hmm. But what it's also going to do is it's going to surface real use cases and there's going to be overlap and there's going to be ones that, that jump out more than others. And there's going to be excitement that's created from an organizational perspective. So then from there, what you could do is you could start to scale that, innovate and work on that week in and week out. And before you know it, you ha- you start to develop like an innovation library on on how to utilize that. And so like, if I were starting today and we haven't implemented, that's the number one thing I would do. Of course, like, I mean, there's folks like me that you could just leverage my membership and have the easy button for it, right? Or if you need help setting it up, I do help companies set set these things up internally. Um, But like, that's where I would start uh, just to get it rolling. Because like, if you do that now, your whole 2024 is going to look completely different because things are going to keep changing and evolving. There's going to be GPTs that are released, which they've already been started to be released, but there's going to be a store. And then there's going to be agents that are released next, which are autonomous AI components that that are leveraged as well, which I think will be a game changer as well. 
Yeah, because those autonomous components are effectively going to be like an if this, then that, you know, kind of where you can program them to do a lot of the things that you would have normally manually done by yourself and hours eaters, if you will. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And like you mentioned prompt engineering earlier, like the benefit of understanding how to prompt is like, think of it as like the foundational prompting is the foundational element of the GPTs and then of the agents, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you look at it, so like you want to understand the foundation that all the models use to deploy everything else. And if you do that, you don't need to spend, you know, three, $4,000 on all this software. You could literally spend $20 a month and effectively have the same access and capability that a lot of those other tools have. No, granted, there's a lot of tools that you still need and everything like that, but with all these AI tools, that's that's kind of a way where you could arbitrage the money, if you will. Do you think that the future looks a lot like your past of being able to scale to what what could argue be argued as extreme productivity? You you, you mentioned at the outset you scaled an organization or a, a business unit to thirty million dollars ARR for around only four salespeople. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of like where we are headed? Yeah, I think without a doubt, I, I think because like, even if you look at, so have you heard of MidJourney at all? Yep. Very familiar. Like MidJourney is a perfect example. I think they have 11 people and they're over hundred million in revenue. Yeah. Right. Like when in the past would that be possible? Like, has there ever been a situation where that's possible? There's 11 people and they, they, they surpass hundred million in revenue in a year and a half, maybe. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous, right? Like. So I think more of these opportunities are going to exist, but that's like an extreme example that comes to mind. Well, in Midjourney, I I don't not even aware that they have any salespeople. Um. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know if they do. I mean, their product like growth. I mean, their product's only ten ten dollars, and then there's other tiers to it, right? But yeah. like effectively, that's how it is. So and and Midjourney is fascinating, and for a lot of different reasons, and could be maybe an hour long conversation in and of itself because they leverage. Um, they leverage, you know, kind of like true chat to even produce results, which is kind of like a, a force constraint that that ends up winning them. I think a lot of customer loyalty, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, it's true. It's really true. So yeah, it's a great tool, though. It's like the iterating is the thing. <laughs> um, and and maybe that there's a good um, kind of like thought process there around every sales cycle is just that a cycle. And so we're forever as salespeople iterating towards, you know, a better, more effective, higher win rates kind of environment. Wouldn't you agree? That's uh, the I think Always. so. I mean, that's the opportunity. And, and like, it's hard to say, like, I, I think like if you look at it, I mean, classically, Pareto's principle typically dominates sales orgs, right? And so- 80-20 rule. Yeah, which is the 80-20 rule, which is you know 80% of your results come from 20% of your people. You could apply that or 80% of your revenue comes from 20% of clients effectively. So I think that's going to be exaggerated potentially even more um, because you're going to have people that are really good leverage that on top of it. And so what's going to happen is if... Because if, usually folks that are really like top performers have a hunger, a desire, and a growth mindset to understand more. And that's one of the most critical factors of understanding this. Mm-hmm. So I could see like you just having overall having less salespeople in an organization, but having 
you know, the really, really good ones with, with this support mechanism around them. So they're like superhuman, right? So they might be able to do two X what they were doing before. So like, that's kind of where I see things going in this space. So it might be like a hunger games ask kind of, um, <laughs> survival of the fittest, if you will. Could be, man. I mean, I don't know. The, the weird thing about it is, is like, like, for example, me, like I'll give you myself as an example, like we just talked about mid journey. So mid journey is like a graphics generator that gives you really insane pictures. If you put in the right prompts, right? Hyper detailed, photorealistic, like stunning pictures, if you do it the right way. So like, I am not good at creating graphics by any means. Like I suck at it. Right. And so when I mentioned teams before the, the ability to leverage skill, like I could literally create images that used to take like a really, really good graphic designer to do. And it took me maybe 45 minutes to learn it. And I'm at that skill set now. Right. Right. So there's things like that. There's like, I now have access to a copywriter, you know, on my own staff that I never had before. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, there's all these different capabilities. So even if you're not a top producer now, but you embrace what's, what's out there and what's available to you and just use the damn thing, right. You're going to be really, really good, like insanely good compared to other people. Um, Because here's, here's the other thing, Eric, that that's really been wild about this is like, I started doing um, an AI log effectively, like a wins log that I had. Mm -hmm. And what I would do is I'd write down, you know, what I used it for that day that was new. Right. And I, and then I I also wrote down like, what are ideas or other use cases I could leverage it for? And so what, what started to happen is it started to stack on itself. And then I got more and more ideas of what's possible that could really, really help people. And so like, just by taking continuous action, even if it's small, even if you just leverage chat GBT instead of Google a couple times a day, you're mm. start, you're going to start to see what's possible and where it could take you. That's actually a great forcing function or a good healthy habit to be in, right? Like it's anything you would have done as a Google search, maybe, you know, one out of 10 of those translate into generative AI. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so easy and you don't have to deal with all the ads and crap. Um, and and yes. so it's it's funny because you get really good responses if you do that, right? So, would your recommendation also be to um, you know kind of like take premium licenses for any of the or all of the generative AI tools? Yeah, I think like and now this could change, right? We're we're literally three days into this whole OpenAI thing, but as of recording, um, the only one that I really have right now is the ChatGPT one. A Claude is starting to become interesting, right? Mm-hmm. But the ChatGPT one is really, really good uh, as it stands now. So I, I like that one. And I mean, like literally it's 20 bucks a month. I do have MidJourney as well, but there's other tools like Bard and Inflection AI and Claude that I use literally for free now, right? And so um, those are some examples of, of kind of uh, what I would do and recommend. And like, even if you're just starting, you could use the free option, right? Yeah. Um, and, and then, but like the $20 a month is like so worth it. In my opinion, it's, it's like the easiest decision to make possible. You know, one of the other things that I I'm definitely pulling from this interview and tell me if I'm way off base on this is a lot of the sense that I get of you leveraging these tools is also knowing what good looks like having a sense of, you know, how to create a business case or even how to ideate on what to feed the tool to enable 
the kinds of outputs that will level up or 2x or 10x any type of results. Is that fair? Yeah, I think part of it definitely is like garbage in, garbage out, right? Like if you don't, if you if you're not feeding it good questions, then you're not going to get good answers. It's just like real life. It's just like any discovery call or any sales meeting, right? If you don't ask good questions, you're not, you're, you're not going to get good answers. And so, uh, like I think that's true. And like what I would say is like a real simple way. If you're listening, you're trying to get started or really want to advance what you're doing, you could write this down. This is super simple. Is like literally say like acts like either the role in terms of the experience though, like a 30 year, let's say you want content, um, a 30 year copywriter that works at this type of company, right? Or you could say the specific person, like I want to talk, I want to understand first principles, act like Elon Musk and walk me through the first principles flaws with what I'm recommending here. You know, like those are examples. The other thing that works really, really well is you give it a description of what you're, or you ask it what you're looking for. And then you could say, I want to create different versions of this, right? And then you copy and paste examples of something you really like. That could be a framework. That could be a piece of content. That could be a picture, right? Like with vision, I literally took a picture at the go-to-market conference I was at of the sponsors and said, Hey, I want you to categorize and identify what all these sponsors are, are providing from a solution perspective and put it to me in a table. And I did that while I was sitting there in the middle of the conference and it literally did that. And so effectively I was able to understand like instantly who were potential prospects of those sponsors, who are partners and who are competitors. And like, right. th that's another real simple example of how you could leverage it like instantly. Yeah. That categorization is something that it's terribly good at, especially the premium version of, you know, if you feed up to chat GPT nowadays, like um, Excel, tables or other kinds yeah. of like information, it can dissect it and basically resort and categorize like nobody's business. Exactly. So true. So yeah, helpful tip there as as well. Um, parting shot, like, gosh, this has been quite an exciting discussion. For those out in the audience who want more, Ryan, who want to understand a little bit about what you've got going on, maybe even get in touch with you directly, where should they go? Yeah. So what we could do is uh, I could drop, if it's cool with you, I could give you the link for the sales AI accelerator. Maybe we pop that in the show notes. And then you got it. my my website is ryanstaley.io. Uh, like you could request a, a conversation with me there. Uh, and then if you're looking at content, like another podcast, the scale up show is my show. So what I've started to do is like literally I interview AI founders, but at the same time, I, I, started, I started to do more solo episodes recently and deconstruct some of these concepts that I'm talking about because it's happening so fast. And because I got a good response when I was on other people's shows. So like th th I would say those are the best ways to kind of like consume and check it out. Written content, LinkedIn's, you know, I'm on there as well. So I've got a new podcast to add to my rotation. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I love it. I love it. Ryan, this has been a real pleasure. And again, a, a great conversation. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, no problem, Eric. I really appreciate being on the show and uh, appreciate you having me, man. You got it. Thank you for checking out The Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering 
in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.